0: Uh, Mr. President, can you explain the reason behind your policy on replacing all the federal government's gasoline-powered cars with electric vehicles? Yes, I can. The federal government owns an enormous fleet of vehicles which we're going to replace with clean electric vehicles made right here in America by American workers. This will create a million auto worker jobs here in the United States. A million jobs, sir. Really? Absolutely. It's going to take at least 500,000 people to build an electric replacement for the presidential Cadillac beast. Heck, that mother's even bigger than Trump's great fat ass. Hello, welcome to Gareth Jones on Speed, Sarah. Hello. Hey, Zog. Hello. I'm Gareth. Sarah, how are you doing?
1: You been busy? Yes, I have been busy, thankfully. So I've had quite a bit of work on during this third lockdown. So that's keeping me out of trouble. It is Australia Day today. <gasps> oh, yes, so it is. Congratulations. Yeah. Have a bonzer yeah.
2: day, sport.
1: Yeah, I know. Happy
2: birthday, Australia.
1: I was homesick during Christmas and New Year. But I'm okay now. I'm used to seeing, you know, sunshine, glamorous beaches, jet skis and boats all through my social media while I'm here in the UK, (laughs) trapped in my flat. (laughs) Don't
0: worry, Sarah. Eventually, we will all get jabs and we will all be able to do what we want to do. And I will join you in Australia because it's a fab place. It really is.
1: Let's go.
0: Zoggy, how are you doing? You been busy? What
2: have you been up to? I haven't been busy enough, to be honest, or I've been too busy with idle distractions and pursuits rather than genuine productive stuff. A couple of good little projects on the go, which aren't really relevant to the show, so I won't talk about that. But yeah, work's been done on the ground to be honest. I was spending too much time playing Call of Duty and uh, online poker (laughs) and (laughs) pottering around doing other stuff.
0: Well, if anyone listening to this show is able to offer a fine journalist and a remarkable videographer, Zog, some work, uh, you know where to get us. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Videographer, editor, writer, everything, mate. Everything. One man production team let's talk about motorsport because that's what we like to think about when we're not working and when we're working some of us in fact all of us a new motorsport series actually got me genuinely excited in the last few weeks i'm talking about extreme e maybe It's because I've been doing some radio controlled car stuff and the cars that are in Extreme E are not (laughs) unlike the buggies I've been driving in my local park. But I'm actually more interested in Extreme E than I am in Formula
2: E. Sog, are you the same as Extreme E, tickle your trousers? Okay, it's very interesting that you describe your feelings about it that way, because that's exactly what I've been feeling recently. Really? Yeah, it's a couple of things. First of all, the driver lineup, because particularly with the new announcements for some of the teams, we're going to have, in the same series this year, some up-and-coming racers like Jamie Chadwick, with current stars, including Sebastian Loeb, racing against Jensen Button and Carlos Sainz Sr. Oh, yes.
1: Yeah, that's really cool, having Carlos Sainz Sr.
2: I mean, bring it on. I am really, really stoked to see that combination of talent. And you referenced and compared to Formula E there. And one of the things that has me really excited about Extreme E is that it seems like I think it has a real chance of addressing this big, question of how motorsport evolves in the new era of sustainability and moving away from fossil fuels Mm -hmm. in a way that is exciting really grabs our attention formulary for me was a bit of a damp squib i tried to get into it but i never found myself being really engaged i went to one or two events and they were very well-run events they were good events to attend but the excitement in the racing for me wasn't really there. And I didn't find myself watching many of the races on TV. Extreme, e, I think in doing what they're doing and having this slightly different kind of electric off-road formula, it's a little bit different. It seems to me to have a bit more of a buzz around it. There are some big names, backing teams as well. Nico Rosberg, Lewis Hamilton has a team. Jensen Button is an owner as well as a driver. Yeah, I'm genuinely excited to see how this is going to unfold, I can't wait for it to start. Sarah, do you feel the same?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm really excited. They are targeting sort of parts of the world that have been affected by global warming. So they're using it as a way to raise awareness too. So not only for me is the driver lineup exciting, but I quite like the idea that they're travelling around the world to all these extreme places to sort of be environmentally friendly. It's electric cars. They're off-road cars, and so the parts of the world that they're going to will be Arctic, desert, rainforest, glacier, you know, parts of the coast. So I think, for example, brazil's amazon region greenland which is really exciting and i think the visuals will just be fantastic and then to see these off-road cars sort of get through the terrain will be really cool so it'll look amazing the competition will be amazing i think it's 16 mile races so a male driver does 16 miles and then a female driver does 16 miles so i don't think the race is very long but i think the they're
0: even shorter than you realize it's 16 kilometers rather than 16 oh, miles kilometers
1: there you go yeah so my bad yeah
0: close enough for rock and roll you know you were 62 percent right i was the appeal for me i think you nailed it sarah you said about the dramatic backdrops the idea of racing in greenland is really quite intriguing the cars themselves which are sort of rally raid buggies bespoke Mm. buggies designed for the formula by spark the people who build the Formula E cars, this time I've come up with something that looks a bit more purposeful. I think the Formula E car looks great until it starts moving. Then it doesn't look particularly dramatic. I think the Extreme E car looks dramatic when it's standing still. And with all that suspension travel, when it's bouncing around on rough terrain, is actually going to look exciting and this is the key because formula e cars aren't going that fast they're on small constrained circuits and we understand why but that limits the spectacle of the racing so the idea of these cars that they're called the Odyssey Twenty One SUV, good name actually. I think they're going to be fantastic. I already want a radio-controlled model of one. I think they'll <laughs> adapt to RC cars particularly well. There are lots of really good plus points to Extreme E, but there's one element to it that I'm a little suspicious about. It's a little greenwashy now. So. Absolutely, motorsport must move over to non-internal combustion engine cars. And this is a great way of doing it. But I'm not sure that travelling all these cars all over the world, albeit on a ship rather than an aircraft, to highlight this issue is the correct way of doing it. I sense a little bit of greenwash.
2: It's an interesting question whether the best way to highlight the threat to precious wilderness areas of the planet is to drive all over them in fancy SUVs, you know. (laughs) Um, Now, (laughs) that said, I'm not sure about exactly what the courses they're planning for these races in Saudi Arabia, Senegal, Greenland, Brazil and Argentina is the Glacier race. I don't think any of the courses they're planning are pristine wilderness, so I'm not suggesting that they're treading on virgin territory. But yeah, what sort of a message are you sending if At the same time that you're trying to be environmentally responsible and to promote a sustainable enterprise, you are taking yourself off to fairly remote parts and whizzing around in the fancy vehicle with a big support crew that you've taken a lot of resources to get to in the first place.
0: Interesting that what they've done is, instead of flying the vehicles all over the world, they've commissioned or requisitioned A merchant vessel, the RMS St. Helena, which RMS, I didn't know, stood for Royal Mail Ship. Did you know that? It used to be the mail ship. I did not. Yeah. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, I only discovered that in the last day or so. And this ship used to be used to carry the mail from South Africa to St. Helena, which was a British dependency. Who knew? But now it's going to be not just the way of transporting the Xtreme vehicles all over the world. But it's going to be their mobile base as well. This is like their portable paddock. And I reckon they'll have all the chargers on board to charge the vehicles when they get there, which means that they're using fossil fuels to recharge the vehicles, if I've understood it correctly,
2: because that's a diesel ship. Well, okay, a couple of things. In the first place, they could be using... Biodiesel to run those generators. They use something called
0: champagne, which is a much cleaner, low-sulfur diesel, I believe, than the conventional black stuff.
2: It's nicknamed champagne. That's what the drivers call it. I'm glad you clarified that. I could say if they're running their generators on champagne, they've got too much of a budget. I think. <laughs> but just to go back to what you said, Gareth, about moving motorsport away from internal combustion engines as part of what we all have to do to move to a more sustainable way of life yeah i must admit, i'm personally maybe kind of coming back around to wondering whether there is a continued place for the internal combustion engine in racing if you can run them on carbon neutral biofuels for the sake of argument uh-huh. partly because the noise of the internal combustion engine is such a wonderful thing yeah i became aware that one of the things that was a problem for me about formula e was the sound. The cars are just too quiet going around mm-hmm. those circuits. They are very um, quiet. Yeah, they are. And I think... With extreme E, that will be less of an issue. You'll
0: have a visual thing to fill up the space because there'll be spraying sand or snow or mud everywhere. It will look visceral, and I think that will fill that gap from the absence of a terrific sound. But it's
2: also going to be noisier because, you know, kicking up all those rocks, sliding around, all that, what you're doing on those surfaces in those vehicles is going to be noisier than what a Formula E car does on a track. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, we haven't seen it yet. We will have the emotional reactions that we have when we see it. We'll just to see how it feels to us. Yeah, but I do find myself questioning whether, in fact, maybe the internal combustion engine will hang on and maybe should hang on in motorsport in a slightly anachronous way. Maybe. Because at the same time that motorsport does prove technology for the road and is often a way of testing technology and as a technology demonstrator... companies also a lot of what is designed for racing is just for the sake of racing it's just for those vehicles in those circumstances it's not necessarily massively road relevant there is a mixture there so yeah that's my thought fair point the car will be in theory,
0: twice as dramatic as a Formula E car because it's got twice the running gear of the Formula E cars. The cars are four-wheel driver. It's got two of the battery packs. We'll come back to the future of motorsport and the internal combustion engine car a little bit later, but let's just pop back to the Extreme Race Weekend. I've been looking into it and trying to work out how it's going to play out. There are eight teams... Two drivers for each car, one male, one female. I think
1: there's, sorry, sorry, Gareth, I think there's actually ten teams. I read. Oh, is today. it? Is that right? Yeah, well, Jensen Button's now got his team entered. So he's got JBXE. Yep,
0: yeah, let me just run down the teams and let's have a look. According to the Xtreme E website, the teams are Abd Cupra XE from Germany, Spain's act. Ak- Science XE team, the United States represented by Andretti United Extreme. So that's United Autosport. That's Zach Brown in conjunction with Andretti. Is
1: that really?
0: Another American team, Chipkin Acid Racing. They're going to be good. And
2: they're running a GMC Hummer sponsored car. Are they? I didn't realise that. Yeah, yeah. And again, interesting to see a big old dirty fossil fuel burning brand yep. coming into Extreme E in a big way so
0: reinventing
2: itself nice yeah, Go, Chip Ganassi.
0: hispano suiza there's a great name to hear Ooh, again yeah absolutely. from spain the full title of the team's name is hispano suiza excite energy team we've got JBXE from the united kingdom which of course is jensen buttons team rosberg extreme racing from
1: germany rosberg has the australian driver molly taylor
0: yeah molly taylor And Johan Christofferson is the other driver. I don't know that name. And then Team TecHita from Indonesia and Veloce Racing from the United Kingdom, who have Jamie Chadwick, who I think may be a relative of mine, seriously, and Stefan Sarazan as the other driver. And there's one other team I forgot to mention, Team X44, which is Lewis Hamilton's team. So yeah, 10 teams, Sarah. Well spotted, my mistake. I'll
1: tell you something interesting about Jamie Chadwick's team. How do you pronounce it? I would have said Veloce, but you say Veloce.
0: Team Velociraptor. Veloce, I'd say. Sorry. uh, uh, Veloce. Veloce. Okay. Well,
1: guess which design legend is part of that team?
0: Uh, uh, Is it going to be Ian Callum?
1: No, it's Adrian Newey.
0: Get the heck out of here. I didn't know Uh. that.
1: Yeah, yeah. I read today. Adrian Newey, the one design legend. He is part of the Veloce team. Cool. Veloce. No,
0: it's velo. Veloce, Veloce. My apologies. No, I have no idea how it's pronounced. I'm going to say it differently every time until I hear it said out loud. I wonder how much they are allowed to alter the cars, though, because it's a fairly bespoke chassis at the moment. But let's see. So here's the weekend. It goes like this. There's two days running. You have one full battery charge per day for the team, which is quite good. That sort of energy management thing. They do two laps of a circuit, which is up to, they say, 16 kilometres long. One driver drives the first lap and they swap at the end of the first lap for the second one. That adds a bit of Le Mans like driver exchange excitement. The second day is the race day. The way that qualifying works, they have two groups of four cars in each qualifying session. Each team races twice on Saturday in Q1 and Q2. The Q1 grid is drawn by lottery. The Q2 grid is decided by the results of Q1. The top four after day one get to take the easier route round the circuit and they go into semi-final one the bottom four go into an all or nothing semi-final what they call the crazy race i think that's terrible branding but i want
2: to know why it's called the crazy race if they called it the wacky race i mean come on yes (laughs)
0: Yes!
2: (laughs) how could they miss that open goal
0: (laughs) the top three they're going to the finals plus the winner from the crazy race goes in so four teams race in the final so it's clearly going to be not time trials but simultaneous starting around this circuit so there's going to be a bit of RG bargy they also have something called the hyperdrive power boost which you get for the longest jump in the first race and points at the end are awarded for the longest jump in each race It's an interesting weekend. I can't wait to see the first race, which is in April the 3rd and 4th, I think. It's still a couple of months away. That's right.
1: Yeah. I hope they make it with all these travel restrictions. Yeah. But I did see, if you want to watch it at home, it will be on the BBC, the red button.
0: I didn't know that, Sarah. That's great information.
1: Yeah, the BBC are hosting it
0: brilliant yeah Saudi Arabia April 3rd 4th yeah I'll be tuning in hands up if you are looking forward to this I've got my hands up I know you can't see it my hands Sarah up. Zog yeah my hands up. and I'm sure you guys listening at home as well we'll see you for Extreme E Ian Warhurst, as the presence owner of the Bloodhound LSR project, I'm sure I speak for a great many people when I say I wasn't surprised to see that the entire project is up for sale again. Oh, uh, yes, well, it is a very expensive project to maintain. Last time it was for sale, nobody seemed to want to buy it, and so you managed to scoop it up for a bargain price at the last minute. Aye. Happened, that's right, Cocker. So what makes you think it will sell this time? Oh, it'll sell easy this time. I've got a clever strategy. I've put it on eBay and listed it as a barn find.
1: Gareth Jones on Speed!
0: Actually, while we're on the subject of eBay, here's a Gareth Jones on Speed song for you, specially written about the potential dangers of buying cars on ebay and i mean model cars when slightly perhaps drunk and it's performed loosely in the style of blur of an evening i enjoy a large glass of wine and the opportunity to purchase items from the world's biggest This action gives me a tremendous sense of well-being. And when I was a boy, I had posters on my walls and racing cars and football and Grand Prix was my thing. I didn't care for goal scorers, I liked drivers. And my favourite toy, it was unbeatable. Before I was a voter, I would be. my a vehicle and it had a motor now that I'm blown up that passion's has not gone stale I still buy toy cars but none of the die-cost modes are on faulty burn scale and he created by cars and he banged down the ball of Beaujolais spent 300 quid today I'm on an Elka-Skelka get me out yourselves sir where's the we Saw the announcement that WEC will have a reasonable field of cars in its top category confirmed, which means we're definitely going to get some good cars at Le Mans to compete with. Toyota in the new upper class, which is called Hypercars, no longer LMP1. I don't know if you've seen the Toyota GR010, I believe it's called,
2: but it is a mean-looking car. Have you seen it, Zog? I have, and one of the first things that struck me is it looks quite a lot like an LMP1 car. I think there's a reason for that. I mean, One reason would simply be that they figured out, Pretty well, how to make an LMP1 car go fast. Yep. and given that what Toyota have designed for the hypercar category is a prototype with a different set of rules to the old LMP1, it's going to look fairly similar. Would that be fair? I think that's part of the story, and it's a large part of the story. You're right,
0: but I also think that we are being fooled by. The paint scheme, which is identical pretty much to the car that they were running in LMP1. And that, I think, disguises the appearance of the car. I think what we've actually got is a car that's closer to LMP2 in terms of size and even Pace as a result, technically, it's very, very different to the TS050 that Toyota were running, and it's about I think they're estimating 10 seconds per lap at Le Mans slower than the LMP1 cars, which means, yeah, that's what it's I've got, yeah. gonna be very close to the performance of the LMP2 cars, which means there's no guarantee that the upper class car. Could win Le Mans this year. We'll see. Let's talk about the other teams though, because apart from Toyota and their well engineered well-prepared car you've also got Scuderia Glickenhaus and their car forgive me I can't remember the name of their car that they're running I it's
2: the SC007 I think it is thank you
0: Zog which I don't expect too much of at this time because I don't think it's run on the track anywhere so far but they are running two cars aren't they
2: I believe so but they will of course be helped by the fact that they are not going to have as much competition now, because it looks as if, and this has just come out in the last couple of days, by collars may well not be racing this year. They may well not race their hypercar, which is another disappointment. Why am I not surprised? So, yeah, so we've got the Toyota, there's the Glickenhaus. Alpine. Yeah, Signatech Alpine, which is the old rebellion chassis grandfathered in. So at the same time, it's great to see the new formula taking shape to replace LMP1. You know, actually, there aren't that many teams involved. I think this is going to be a bit of a holding category until LMDH comes in in 2022. And also, I think it's a little disappointing that we haven't seen Aston Martin entering a hypercar, um, that no other manufacturers have entered road-based vehicles in this category, because part of the way this was presented and sold when it first came up was that manufacturers would be able to run cars based on the current generation of road-going hypercars. And where are they? You know? Yeah. It's a little disappointing in that sense, but at least we should have better competition at the sharp end of the field than we had when there was only one full-on LMP1 hybrid car racing for the win, really. Sarah, one of your best
0: mates does the PR for the WEC, doesn't she?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, my friend Rachel.
0: Have you had a conversation with Rachel? I'm guessing she's going to have an awful lot of work to do to
1: reintroduce this
0: whole new category to the WEC. Have you had a chat about it
1: at all? I haven't had a huge chat to her about it, but I know she's very busy. I know she's very much looking to the new season because last season was so disrupted. There wasn't enough races to get around to, but I know that she's very much looking forward to it. But what I'm also looking forward to is that there's actually six full-time female entrants this year, and that's a record number of women to compete in FIA World Championship. It's Richard Mill racing's number one car will be driven by Mm -hmm. the female team which is not in the hypercars. But the hypercar, that looks and sounds amazing. I'm just having a look at the picture of the hypercar now.
2: Oh yeah, they look great. They look fantastic. That chicken house looks wonderful.
1: I'm interested in the Alpine
0: entrance. First of all, make up your mind, Alpine, because they're talking about they're going to be in Formula One this year. They're running in the WEC with a grandfathered, like she said, Zog, rebellion chassis. Now, by grandfathered, what does that mean? That they've got to get Mario Andretti to drive it. He's his grandfather (laughs) who's a racer. And also, Alpine have announced a deal with Lotus to explore synergies and with the possibility of Alpine and Lotus combining to enter Formula E as a race team. So, where's all this money coming from? Renault, really? On a brand who are going to sell, I don't know how many cars? Not that many, because combined Lotus and Alpine don't sell many cars to the world, really. Yeah, they're both fantastic cars, but are they big enough manufacturers to support this level of investment in at least three motorsport categories? Also, one other thing, if Alpine are running a rebellion grandfathered chassis in the WEC. Does that mean by the time we get to Le Mans, if the ACO deem that there aren't enough entrants in the upper category, they're going to allow, let's say, Baikolis to re-enter with a grandfathered version of their dreadful Baikolis chassis from last
2: year? Well, I think they could get by. I mean, it's not going to bother them hugely if there are only three teams competing in the top category, It might bother them if they thought that was going to be a longer term situation. But when LMDH comes in in 2022, there'll be more teams, more manufacturers involved from that point. So I think they can live with 2021 being a kind of a transitional or, well, another transitional year, maybe.
0: The season has already been slightly disrupted, Sarah. I don't know if you've got the WEC schedule in front of you, but I know that the first race, which is traditionally Sebring, as they say in America, rather than Sebring, that's been replaced by a race at Portimao. And I'm wondering if travel is going to knacker some of those races for the rest of the season. Have you got them in front of you, Sarah? Can you read them out?
1: The wax season. We're going to start off with the eight hours of Portimao. That's on the 4th of April. Then the second race will be the total six hours of of Spa-Francorchamps on the 1st of May. And then the third race is in France. That's the 24 hours of Le Mans. So the the 12th to the 13th of June. Are you boys going to head along to that?
2: Well, that's a moot point. If
1: we're allowed out of our houses.
2: Yeah, exactly. And also, last I heard the ACO had announced that they're not even going to open their ticket office until April. Ah. They're holding fire on ticket sales until it's a little bit clearer what the situation will be Mm. later in the year, which I think is very sensible. It's a very sensible thing to do. So, yeah, let's see how it looks in April.
1: See how it looks. Okay, the fourth race will be in Italy. So that's the six hours of Monza. That's the 18th of July. Then we have to wait till September after July for the six hours of Fuji over in Japan. And then to finish the season, it's the eight hours of Bahrain on the 20th of November. So that's quite cool. It's a six event season.
0: Yep. That's right, yeah. Yep. Well, it all depends on how things play out with the pandemic and how quickly the jabs rollout goes, so everyone gets two jabs. I mean, everyone on the planet, not just everyone in the UK. So it's all up in the air at the moment, you know?
2: Although that does also touch on the question of whether we will all get two jabs, whether we'll get one. J- some people are going to yeah. get two jabs, some people are going to get one jab.
1: I'm not sure.
2: I mean, because there's nothing to a
0: jab at all. <laughs> now, Sarah, listen to the science. You're going to get two jabs. Listen to your uncle Gary why would you be sceptical
2: about getting a jab?
1: Well, I don't know. I mean, because, well, actually, I do know. I just don't want to be part of the first round of these vaccines, only to sort of find out later on that after a generation of taking this, what side effects it has to the human body. I think body. that's, crazy. that's uh, crazy. You think that's crazy? Yeah, I absolutely. 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 Yeah, I think yeah. it's crazy,
2: yeah. That's crazy. We'll have this conversation another time, right?
1: Let's do another podcast on the vaccine. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's do it. It's a big, important question.
1: I'm just not yeah. sure. I mean, yeah, we can just that, stop that's, it at That's time. extremely
2: bad risk assessment, is well, <laughs> in, in, in my, my opinion. I'm not going to do it
1: the is. great evasion until I actually see Sarah, the, uh, Yes.
0: I'm going to kill this now because we've got to talk about cars, but I'm just going to put yeah, it this yeah, way. You are far more at risk from not having a jab than you are from having a fairly limited tested jab. And this jab has been very well tested. Let's move on. <laughs> uh, now, let's talk about Formula One in the time that we've got left because the WEC will find out how that plays out depending on how the pandemic plays out. And the same can be applied to Formula One. There have already been changes to the Formula One calendar. Sarah, already the first race in Melbourne's been postponed, hasn't it, or rescheduled?
1: That's been rescheduled to November. So there's already people going around asking what the weather's like in November. And I'm telling you, the weather in November would <laughs> be better than March. So
0: ah. you do have that to look forward to. Ah, that's interesting. I hadn't thought of the weather. Oh, yeah, it
1: would be around the same. So you'll be going into summer. In November, it's spring. It's not after summer, it's before summer. So November usually will be quite hot as it's sort of the month just before December, which is summer at home so you might get some really nice really really beautiful days so
2: yeah that's promising but the question is and in any case it's going to be much sunnier and warmer than let's say london in november so (laughs) (laughs) if that's your point of comparison Yeah, yeah yeah it's going to be a super sunny super lovely weekend
0: Let's just talk about how it's going to play out this season, because we'll have a slightly different car. The 2021 car will have a different floor pan. There are different rules to the size of the floor of the car and the way that it manages aero between the underside and the upside of the car. They're not allowed to have slots cut in them anymore. But interestingly, some of the teams are already developing curled edges to the floor pan which are rather like eagle's wingtips or the winglets that you get on the boeing 757 which may sidestep that whole thing together so i love the way rules force creativity necessity being the mother invention but the key question you might ask is who's in charge of alpine these days i know that wasn't the question you're expecting me to ask but Cyril Abitable, who a few months ago was announced as not just the head of the Alpine Formula One team, but the head of the entire Alpine brand, including road cars, has now left Renault. And in coming to replace him is Long Rossi, not someone I'd heard of before, who used to manage the Suzuki MotoGP team. Now... Hmm. Is he the right guy to run a Formula One team? Because I'm not saying that it's much easier running a MotoGP team, but surely he's a bit lacking in terms of understanding of wheel numbers. <laughs> At least,
1: you know. After all, what was his motivation for leaving or did he get the punch?
0: good question. It's not clear. I don't think he was pushed. I think he's left because possibly it wasn't clear who was the ultimate person in charge of the race team because Rossi is coming in as sporting director. And I think Cyril Abitable liked the control that he had previously. And if he lost some control, he didn't want to do the job. I'm guessing here, but I think he did a really good job. You know, the Renault team has been turned round in the
1: last couple of years and I think they'll miss him. My understanding is that he had a bet with Daniel Ricciardo. Yeah. Should Daniel Ricardo make the podium, Cyril was going to get a tattoo. So I do believe that Daniel picked out a tattoo for him. Um,
0: we want to keep him before we launch so we can see that tattoo, don't we, Zog?
2: We do, but you say he did a good job. But whilst certainly Renault's last season was pretty respectable and certainly had you know, the high points of their first podium, what Renault have achieved since they came back in 2016 is certainly well short of what they intended at the start. You know, yeah. It took them until 2020 to get their first Podium, and they're still solidly a midfield team. In the last three years, they've been, what, fourth, fifth and fifth. Haven't come anywhere near the vaguest sniff of a title. And that's certainly not what Renault imagined when they came back five years ago. You know, their goals, I think, were to have podiums within three years. It took them five years. And they're still nowhere near title contenders. So I think the last season being... A good one for them rather masks how badly Renault has underperformed. And in the end, if you're the team boss, you've got to carry the can for that. So I could just imagine that maybe they had a discussion in which everyone decided it was better to have a new boss to take the team forward. To his credit, they say that last season's been good and they've got Alonso back, and the prospects are looking pretty respectable for this year with Alonso in the team. On the other hand, they lost Ricardo. So. Good luck to the new guy in any case. I'm wondering if a beatable's departure has anything to
0: do with the fact that the only team running a Renault engine in Formula One now... Are Alpine the Renault team they've got no customer engines anymore and I would imagine that probably hurts at a sort of corporate level because McLaren don't run Renault engines anymore as we know Red Bull are likely to continue with their Honda engine rebadged as a Red Bull engine or this other Austrian engineering company there's an awful lot of that goes on behind the scenes in Formula One politically that we have no grasp of which brings me to the moot point now by the time- You're listening to this program, the gap between us recording this and you listening to it, a lot could happen. In terms of Lewis Hamilton, because...
2: Uh, sir Lewis Hamilton. Oh, good point, Zog. Has
1: he been knighted yet? He
2: has been knighted, yeah, yeah. He- has he had the ceremony yet? Has it actually happened? Um, I don't think so, but he was on the last list.
0: Okay, so we don't have to call him Sir yet until the Queen has done the whole thing, I'm guessing.
1: No, I mean, he would put that all uh, over, all over his social media. If-
0: yeah, it would have been everywhere, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would have be been blessed, totally blessed.
2: He-, he was definitely on the last list. He's- yeah, it's coming.
0: But at the point of recording, Lewis... Still hasn't got a contract with Mercedes. Now, in the five minutes we've got left in this program, do you think he's going to sign, Sarah? Do you reckon this is gamesmanship, or what do you think is going on? Any ideas?
1: I think they're doing some last-minute negotiations because, to start with, every driver is replaceable, but everybody sort of has been secured in all the other teams. And I don't think he's somebody that is willing to or wants to quit anytime soon. So my understanding is that they must just trying to negotiate some sort of deal. And either he's asking for too much, which is perhaps more than likely the case. I'm not exactly sure, but I mean, that's my gut feeling. And that's, I suppose, what a lot of people would jump to the conclusion of. But what do you think?
0: Yeah, I think it's all about money. And it's also about control over his personal PR and sponsors. I think Lewis wants a bit more of a slice of that cake as well. And he thinks he's in a very, 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 very strong negotiating position because of his success but also the Mercedes team which aren't strictly the entirely Mercedes team these days because now Toto Wolff has a greater share and Ineos have a share you know we should be referring to it under a different name in my opinion but I also think that team has got a very strong negotiating position because they know if Lewis wants to break records and beat Schumacher's record of going for an 8th world championship the only team that could give him that chance is is the team from Brackley.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, Lewis doesn't want to go anywhere else. Mercedes doesn't want him to go anywhere else. They're negotiating over, I assume, kind of pretty much fiddling small detail. You know, Fiddling small detail that will keep lawyers busy. I think Toto Wolford referred to some curveballs thrown into the negotiations, but there was no suggestion that either party wanted to go in another direction. So they're going to make a deal. They're just tidying up the loose ends. And because... Neither of them wants to go any other way. In a sense, there's no great urgency in tying it up, I guess. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's not as if Mercedes are nervous that Lewis is going to walk away at the last minute. And Lewis isn't nervous that Mercedes are going to say, oh, well, actually, we're going to go with George Russell instead at the last minute. Neither of those things is going to happen.
0: Yeah, but the interesting thing is that if they fail to give enough ground for Lewis to what he wants on the contract, Mercedes absolutely have that banker of pulling George in if they need to, mm. which is why it's dragging out, I think. Yeah. That, that's the main reason. Yeah, well, we'll have plenty to- time to talk about the build-up to the Formula One season because it's still some time away. We won't discuss it on this programme at the moment. But if I were to ask you three now, just to sum up what we've discussed on this programme today, of the three seasons that we've discussed, Extreme E, Mm -hmm. WEC and Formula One, which one of those three are you most excited about And why? Sarah, I'll ask you first. Which one of those tickles you?
1: Oh, I'm really excited about Extreme E. It's got so much going for it. It's not only sort of the rough terrains and the extreme locations and temperatures. Uh, Might I add, actually, they're taking around official scientists around each venue to see how they can help improve that area of the world with global warming and trying to help them environmentally. I read that today. So they're trying to do something positive for the environment, for the globe. There are males and females as part of each team and that's a huge, wonderful inclusion in terms of diversity and really hammering home the fact that women are just as valuable in this sport as well. And they've got some big names behind it, so it's being endorsed by Rosberg, Hamilton, Jensen Button, Adrian Newey's involved, Carlos Sainz. I mean, it just sort of has everything, and now it's got this off-road car, and that'll be really interesting. I think off-road cars are really popular anyway on the road cars. So, yeah, for my mind, I think definitely extremely, although I will be checking out the hypercars in the wet season.
2: Zoggy? Much as I'm stoked for Extreme, e, and I really am, I can't wait to see the opener in Saudi Arabia. Formula One, I can't wait to see Alonso back. I want to see how he goes. Ricardo and Norris at McLaren, I think, are going to be a terrific duo. And I think, given how well they managed to do in 2020 under very difficult circumstances of pulling a good season together, I think, yeah, I'm looking forward to this year. It's going to be great.
0: Interesting. I would say something similar that, as always, I'm absolutely obsessed with... Formula One. I'm slightly disappointed with the WEC. As much as I love Le Mans, the fact that there aren't more cars in the upper category slightly takes the edge away from me. But Extreme E, it doesn't pit Formula One for me in terms of potential excitement at the moment. But you know what? The fact that I'm considering that as potentially more exciting than Formula One holds out great promise for that series. Go on, Sarah, what are you gonna say?
1: Well, I was just gonna do one late surge I tend to agree. I mean I think we'll take away from Formula One for me, but I am very excited for extreme E. And the actual other driver that I'm quite interested to see how he goes is the new signing for Red Bull. So Sergio Perez
0: in formula
2: one of course i'm sure he'll be be
1: great yeah Yeah, so excited about that
2: yeah absolutely go perez but also just getting back to wec it's a little bit disappointing the way gte is going you know that's yeah on a bit of a slide at the moment and we've um, lost some manufacturers yeah yeah exactly lost manufacturers that needs a bit of new life injecting into it which it's not going to get this year by the looks of it. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to 2022 already. Uh, Well, it's funny you should mention injections. We're going to finish
0: the show there, and now we're going to have a conversation with Sarah about injections. You've been listening to Gareth Jones on Speed. She was Sarah. Goodbye. He was Zog. Goodbye. And I was Gareth.